Hi, I'm Dan, and I want to welcome you to Church Online. If it's your first time, please take a minute and fill out a quick guest link on our website after the broadcast. We would love to connect with you, no matter where you're watching from. You can also give online by going to lifechurchutah.com or by texting LCGIVE to 95577 at any time during this morning's service. Once again, thank you for making Life Church Online a part of your weekend. For more information, visit us at lifechurchutah.com. I was reading on Facebook, this is one of the, the real victory reports that just keeps us really going here at Life Church. It was a few days ago, it was one of uh, the ladies in our church who was talking about the journey she had kind of made from an addictive life, uh, being addicted into drugs and, and alcohol and everything, and, and how she finally came to sobriety. She finally came and, and found the mercy and, and forgiveness of the Lord, ultimately faith in Christ herself. And this is what she wrote. She said, drugs and alcohol were merely a symptom of the spiritual malady I suffered from for 32 years. I found the solution to that malady in the fellowship of AA 14 years ago. I want to thank all of the angels in my home group for loving me, teaching me, and bringing me ashore. Mostly, I want to thank Jesus for his ransom that redeemed, restored, and recovered me. Isn't that wonderful? What a powerful testimony of the Lord. And that's what keeps us really going. And that's what really we're all about when we're talking about Project Mercy. Today I want to talk about the connection between mercy and forgiveness. How mercy extends itself to people who have fallen, people whose lives are a mess, through the forgiveness and the forgiving power of God. Because I want you to know that the lady who wrote that testimony is a dynamic part of this church family today and has been for the last several years. The reality is though, and I think we all know this, we have a whole society around us as a church that is in a, is in a terrible condition. We have a society around us today that it would, would give the same basic testimony as our sister did in that in that, uh, in that testimony that she gave, except for the part of coming to Christ. They would talk about their addictions. They would talk about how alcohol and drugs are ruining their families. They would talk about how their, their families are being destroyed, their health is being destroyed, and so forth, by, by all the stuff of the world. And I just feel compelled within my heart that we as God's people in these last days before Jesus comes have to do everything we can to get the word of God out into people's lives to help them to know that there is a God who loves them, a God who will forgive them, a God who will repair their broken lives. So what is God's response to our brokenness? What is God's response to our fallenness? I think most of us who know Christ know the response of God. The response of God to us is his love. The response of God to us is his forgiveness. It's his mercy that he gives to us. Instead of condemnation, instead of judgment, the Lord extends to us his great mercy. Forgiveness is what comes out of that mercy. And forgiveness, I want you to know, is at the core of what God wants to do in all of our lives. 
Some of you, maybe you grew up in a church environment where your idea of God was one of a, a hard taskmaster, and he was a, he was a judger who, who just really kind of wanted to smack you every, every chance he got, you know, kind of like your second grade teacher, you know. Well, I had a second grade teacher like that who just loved to hit me with a ruler, you know. Back in those days, you could do that. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Today, you can't do that. Some of you deserved it more than I did. You know, and, and we all know that's true because I was really pretty much an angel when I was at, at that age. But sometimes we, we come away with God, this picture of God kind of being like that, that he just is looking for an opportunity to, to, to get us, to, to, to judge us, to condemn us, to smack us, if you will. But God's intention in your life is one of forgiveness. And it must be, when you stop and think about it, as representatives of him, as his children, it must be at the core of our lives, too, that we become people who are forgivers. This is what Jesus taught, a great lesson from Matthew chapter 18. Beginning with verse 21, it starts, the, 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 the lesson starts by Peter asking a question. He says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? And he offers seven times. This sounds good. Now, seven times may not impact you unless you understand that as a Jewish boy, he would have been taught by the rabbis that probably three times was sufficient. And so by offering seven times, he really feels like, God's, like the Lord's going to be super impressed. Yeah. How often should I forgive someone? Like seven times? I would do that, Lord. Seven times? Aren't you impressed with me? You know, but Jesus goes on and says, no, not 70 times, but 70 times seven. Can you just see Peter's jaw dropping? Really? That much? Then he tells this story. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared. So this is what the kingdom of heaven is like to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with his servants who had borrowed money from him. Now in the process, one of his uh, debtors who was brought in who owed him millions of dollars and he couldn't pay it, so his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master, and he begged him, Please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. Then the, the master, the king, was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His, his fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. And then the king called in the man that he had forgiven, and he said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And that's what my heavenly father will do to you. Now, this is a heavy verse. 
if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. All right. So there's a lot of truth from this. And I, there are three of them, though, that I want to focus in on as it, re, it relates to mercy and its connection to forgiveness. The first thing I want to share with you this morning out of this is that God forgives the fallen. God forgives the fallen. If you have fallen and you wonder what God thinks of you, how God relates to you, I just want you to know this, that Jesus will forgive you if you ask him. He will forgive you. He forgives, he specializes in that. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, the Bible says they fell. That's why I said he forgives the fallen. They fell, how did they fall? They didn't trip and fall in terms of falling on the ground, but they, they fell spiritually. They fell from their relationship and from their fellowship with God because that relationship and fellowship had been perfect up to that point. And so when they sinned against God, they rebelled against God, the relationship that God had given them with himself was severed. And it's, they, they fell away from that relationship. And the reality is you and I as human beings have inherited the same fallen nature that Adam and Eve had. And so we too have been alienated from God. That's why Romans 3.23 says all of us have sinned and fallen. We have all sinned and we have fallen. All right, so that puts us all in the same boat. And I know it's not PC in today's culture to talk about sin. You're just supposed to talk about mistakes and little trip-ups here and there. It's bigger than that, folks. This is huge. We have fallen away from God. Now you say, well, that's not right for you to say, uh, for me to say to you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. So don't kill the messenger for what the mess because of the message. The message is from God that we have fallen away from him and that this is huge. Here's what I also want you to understand. God did not want to leave us in that fallen condition, but found a way for us to get back to him. And that's what John 3.16 really focused. That, that's the emphasis of the most famous of all God's, um, God's uh, word, uh, of the verses in God's word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So it starts with God loving and it's God's love for us. The interesting thing is our relationship with him may have been broken, but our, God's love for us was not broken. God did not give up on us. He continued to try to find a way to bring us back into a right relationship with him. So mercy found a way to restore. Mercy found a way to forgive. And that's really what, then what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 18 in that story. He's, he's saying that God here is, is being pictured as forgiving us. And so really, when you go to the story, the master, the king back there in Matthew 18, is really a picture of God. And you see this incredible willingness on the part of the king to forgive the servant who owes him a huge debt. Now, the, who, who are these principal players? The king is God, the picture of God. The first servant who owes the king a, a great debt, that's a picture of you and me. That's a picture of us. We're the ones who are in debt. You say, how are we in debt? We are in debt because of our sin. Our sin 
has racked up this huge debt between us and God. It's our sin of actions. It's our sin of attitudes. It's our sin of heart. That has racked up this huge debt between us and God. So we're the ones in the story that we're the first servant. We're, he represents us as a fallen group of people. And, and so we have this debt against God. In fact, the story says that the debt was so great that it amounted to actually millions of dollars. So in the Greek language, it says here that the servant owed 10,000 den uh, denarius, uh, 10,000, 10, uh, uh, what was it, talents, I'm sorry, 10,000 talents. Thank you for whoever tried to correct me over there. That would be the equivalent, get this, of 375 tons, tons of silver. Well, I can't just leave it at 10,000 talents. I've got to figure out what 10,000 talents is actually worth, all right? So I went to Google to find out what the current price of silver is, and I found out that Today, silver is a little bit worth a little bit more than $17 an ounce. Well, how many ounces are there in a ton? You bet you don't know that. I remember this from fourth grade. Uh, <coughs> there, there are 32,000 ounces in a ton. So, again, going back to my fourth grade math class, if you take 32,000, you know, so there's one ton, 32,000 ounces, and you multiply that by 375, because it's 375 tons, and, and, and the silver's worth 17 bucks approximately an ounce, it comes up to $204 million. That's how much this guy owed the king. Now, how in the world did he rack up that kind of debt? The only thing I can figure is that this king is a prime example of government waste. <laughs> Anybody remember 2008 and 2009? Brought on by the government lending money to people who didn't qualify. In fact, not just a little bit of money, but a whole lot of money. And not just the government, but all kinds of lending institutions just pouring the money out there and all, all of a sudden people couldn't pay it back. That's what we have is a picture of this right here. Again, even back in that time, the government is lending money to people who can't pay it back, and it's turning into a huge problem. And here we have it. This guy owes $204 million. And then verse 25 says he couldn't pay it. it says he, no, no wonder he couldn't pay it. I mean, very few people could. So the king orders that the servant and all of his property be sold in order to try to recoup some of the money. But not just the, the servant, but also his kids and also his wife. Be sold. The whole family is going to be sold uh, so because, until he could pay the money back, until he could pay this $204 million. But, but what changed the mind of the king and what extended mercy to the servant was a plea that the servant made to the, I, I don't know exactly if he cried bitter tears or what happened here, but he, I can in my mind imagine him falling down before the king and humbling himself and in tears just saying, 
Oh, master, if you please will give me more time, I will pay it back. I'm headed to Vegas here this afternoon, and I am going to win some money for you, king, if you'll just let me go. In fact, if you could loan me another cool thousand dollars, I'll have the 204 million ready for you when I get back from Las Vegas, you know. You laugh, but I know people who have done that, who were so far in debt that they went to Vegas to try to make it up and ended up in real trouble then. But at any rate, so what, however that all went, he said, please be patient with me in verse 26 and I will pay it all. Somehow or other, whatever he said touched the king's heart enormously and he went beyond just giving the guy more time. Incredibly, he forgave the debt. Now that is unlike government right there. But he forgave the debt entirely. Verse 27 says, the master was filled with pity and he released him and forgave his debt. So in other words, the king had mercy on him. God has always been open to our need and cry for mercy. He always has. He hears us. I want you to understand something. Jesus is not asking for perfection out of you, but he is asking for honesty. He is asking you to be honest. Because nothing will put you in greater bondage to God than a spirit of dishonesty within you. Nothing will separate you from fellowship with God than a dishonest spirit. But if you'll be honest, if you'll admit your failures, this is what the Lord promises. He will forgive you. But Pastor Jim, you don't know what I've done. You're right. I, God does, and he will still forgive you. And that brings me to my second thought. God expects us then to turn around and forgive one another. So God expects us to forgive others just like we have been forgiven. But we all know that doesn't always happen. The forgiven servant was released from his debt and from the threat of imprisonment. I mean, he is like totally set free, but now he's back out in the world, back out on the streets, and he happens upon some guy who owes him a little bit of money. Um, the amount of money is equivalent to a day's wage. So again, I went to Google to find out what the average American makes in a year. The average American in the United States made last year $48,665. So if you divide that by 260, the amount of working days in a year, uh, five days a week times 52 weeks, 260 is how I came up with that, you, it, it amounts to $187 in, in today. Now in the story it said several thousand dollars, but um, I don't know how the translators came up with that, but exact, you know, if you're thinking about a day's wage, that amounts to $187. It was what this servant owed the forgiven servant. But what does the forgiven servant do? He demands repayment from the man who owes him. In fact, verse number 28 says that he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. Whoa, instant payment. You better have it in the wallet, guy, because I am asking for it right now. And, and 
You know, to me, this is not exactly the picture of a man who's just been freed from an incredible, unpayable debt, and now he's treating this guy like this. It's amazing. So the second servant, he falls down to the ground, too, in humility, and he begs the first man to forgive him and to give him more time. He doesn't ask that the debt be forgiven. He says, will you give me more time? So essentially, he's doing the same thing that the first guy did to the king. He's he's begging for more time so that I can make good on the debt. But but the the forgiven guy won't give the guy who owes him money any... He won't budge one bit, and he sells him. He has him arrested, and he sells him to the debtor's prison until he could pay the debt back. Now, okay, remember the king here in the story is a picture of God, and the first servant is a picture of us and our debt to God, okay? So who does the second servant represent? It represents other people, other people who have wounded you, other people who have hurt you, other people who have done you wrong, other people who have even abused you. That's what the the second servant, who he represents. So using the numbers that Jesus has given us in the story, it's, it's us owning God an unpayable debt of millions and millions of dollars compared to someone else owing us only 187 bucks. And his point here is obvious. If God is willing to forgive the huge amount that you owe him, can't you forgive the relatively small amount that others owe you? They owe me an apology. Maybe they do. But forgiveness says you don't owe me anything. You know, we don't see it in that kind of perspective. Us owing God millions, unpayable, other people. We, we don't see it in that kind of perspective. We think what other people have done to us is far worse than what we have done to God. We do, let's be honest. But that's what Jesus is trying to help us to understand here. Our pain over what others have done to us is no greater than God's pain at what we have done to him. In fact, his pain is far greater because of our sin. Because of the hurt that we have caused is far greater. The pain we caused put Jesus on a cross. If the cross should teach us anything, folks, It's how horrific sin is to God. So when you think about the cross, and you think about what Jesus went through enduring Roman execution, the mockery is bad enough. How many of you like to be made fun of and mocked? Nobody likes that. We don't think of that as a big deal, it is. The beating, woo. Now a new level, his beard being ripped out. The bloody mess that would produce. 
A crown of thorns shoved down. Josephus says, the Jewish historian says, the crown of thorns was shoved down so hard on him it caused his eyes to protrude from the eye sockets. I don't know how you do that. That's what he says happened. Nailed to a cross. I've never stepped on a nail, but I was with a friend once who did. Came up through his foot. Gross. Nailed to this cross. The sins of the world put on him. That's the worst part. Feeling something he has never known before, which then causes the absolute worst part of the crucifixion, which is being separated from the Father for the first time in his existence. If all of that says anything, it should say to us that our sin was horrific to God. Our debt to him was without hope of repayment. No way you can good work yourself out of this one. You can't go to church enough. You can't follow the rules enough. You can't give enough money to work yourself out of this one. Beyond your ability to pay it back. As long as I don't see God's mercy for me as that big of a deal. And folks, here's, I, I'm trying to bring this to us, make a point here today, because the reality is, when you've been around the church for a while, and you've heard about the cross enough times, and you've seen the plays where we put Jesus on the and we nail him to a cross, and all, you see that, you can start growing so accustomed to it that it just becomes like no big deal to you anymore. As long as we see that what God did to forgive us as no real big deal, as our, our pain that we caused God is not that really that big of a deal, if that happens, we will never see what others have done to us as worthy of forgiveness. As long as it's no big deal what we've done to God, we will look at what others have done to us as being far bigger, a worse hurt than what we caused God. And we'll end up acting towards one another just like the, second, like the first servant acted towards the second servant in the story. Grab them by the throat, demand repayment, and if you can't do it, throw you in a debtor's prison. But if I acknowledge the huge debt that God forgave me, that God forgave you, we can then open our hearts to forgive what others have done to us. This is what God says to us through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to each other, tender-hearted. Underline this part of the verse, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And so Jesus is saying, in the same way we have been forgiven, as representatives of him, as children of him. Now listen, I know that some of you have been wounded so incredibly deeply 
You are abused as a child. You are abused in a relationship. You were abused in a former marriage. You were abused by parents. You've been abused by your children. You've been abused by the system. You can think of all the reasons in the world why you should be bitter. And just the thought of forgiving that man for what he did to you, it just is repulsive within you. What I want to tell you is every one of us have experienced it. Maybe not exactly the same, but we've all been wounded. We've all been hurt. We're all damaged goods. I'm simply trying to share with you a way that God can heal the damage and change your future. Change what you can become. But you have to lay it down and give it to God, which kind of brings me to my last point here I want to give you. Unforgiveness in you will end up blocking God's mercy to you. Unforgiveness blocks God's mercy working in your life. So when the king found out that the man he had forgiven put a fellow debtor into prison, he was outraged. He called him back and he said to him in verses 32 and 33, you evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And then verse 34, he says, the king reinstated the man's debt, sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. So, a few moments earlier, he's totally free from the 204 million. But guess what? It got put right back on top of him because he wouldn't forgive. And now he has been sent to the debtor's prison to be tortured. That, that word tortured here has always intrigued me in this. I think that's a deeper word than we understand. I think it's a deeper word than I even understand right now. But I've thought about it this week. I've looked at it in the original language. I've, I've, you know, I've put this over into my own... I've, I've, I've read other translations of the Bible, how they translate the Greek word there. You can only in your mind imagine what kind of torture a jailer would have inflicted upon a prisoner at that time in history, in human history. You, just imagine what happened. Just short of death, they, would, they were capable and free to do whatever they wanted to a prisoner. Not like today's jails, in America anyway. They were free to do whatever kind of, that, that they wanted to do. So, so torture, certainly it had a, a physical element to it, but was it just physical? I don't think so. I think that the regret, the emotional prison that this, this servant had put himself back into, can you just imagine how he would have felt emotionally having lost the freedom and now back into bondage? Can you imagine what that felt like to him? He's out of debt. 
He's free from the slavery to the debt. He's out of prison. He's a free man. But because of his lack of mercy to others, he ends up right back in debt again. And under the penalty of that debt, I have experienced it, and I imagine most of us have. Regret can be an incredible emotional prison. And it's interesting that Jesus warns us in verse 35, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. I will tell you this, having lived as long as I have, this is the number one problem between believers and God. Right here, unforgiveness. Unforgiveness in our heart becomes a barrier between us, not just another people, but us and God himself. It may not steal your salvation, but I'm telling you, it will keep you from experiencing the abundant life that Jesus died to give you. And you'll end up in a self-made prison that tortures your soul. You know, but some believers, they, they kind of think to themselves, well, if I forgive him, if I forget her, forgive her, they get away with it. Nothing could be further from the truth. Forgiving others does not let them off the hook. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 12, 19. Dear friends, never take revenge. Don't you do it. Instead, leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. So when you forgive someone, you are turning them over for God to deal with. Now hopefully, God will deal with them in such a way that it will bring them to a point of repentance and faith in Christ. And they'll be changed people the ultimate goal of God working. But if that doesn't happen, justice is going to be served either here or there. In eternity or now. I don't know which, but justice will be served. But forgiveness in you sets you free. Amen. 39 years ago, Carrie and I were called by God out to Utah to plant a church, a new church, over in Sandy. I was 26, and she was 15. <laughs> I, uh, I had just come through a very difficult season as a youth pastor in a church in Denver. In that church, the pastor that I was serving died very unexpectedly, and we were all carrying a deep grief. He was only 52 years old. Before Carrie and I left that Denver church, tension had, had grown between the church secretary and one of the other associates and me, so she was mad at this other associate and me. And it had gotten so, so bad that her mother called us up one day and she said, Jim, I want you and John at my house tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. We had no idea what this was about. We, so he and I drove out to her house and for the next hour and a half, we sat in that living room and she reamed us 
out. I mean, she reamed us out. And we were young, and we just sat there, and we took it. But I will tell you that I walked out of that living room and got back in my car, and this is what I said to myself. I didn't say it out loud. I said to myself, I will never let anybody talk to me like that again. Well, guess what that's a setup for? <laughs> Several months later, Carrie and I are out here and we're starting this new church over in Sandy. And the spirit of the Lord spoke to me and said, if you don't get that taken care of, that thing's going to hang over your life and your ministry for your whole life. It's going to affect ministry for your whole life if you don't take care of this thing. And so I sent a letter to the secretary. This is, of course, pre-email days. And I sent the, a letter of apology. And I will tell you, I didn't apologize for, for things I didn't do. I didn't apologize for what I didn't do. But I did apologize for my part in it. Because in broken relationships, nobody is perfectly innocent. We've all in, interjected issues and and thoughts and comments or actions that have contributed. We may not be the main reason for it, but still, we've contributed. And to the degree I, I contributed, I asked her to forgive me. I didn't know if she would receive my letter positively or not. I only knew that I was doing the right thing, and that even if she didn't, the weight of that would be off of me. I had given it up. And it was a couple weeks later that I got a letter back from her. And that letter back from her was her apology to me. Where she owned up to her failure, she owned up to her comments and her deeds. And she asked for my forgiveness as well. Well, I gotta tell you, it was like a ton of bricks came off of my shoulders. The weight was gone. In fact, Carrie and I bumped into her and her father at, uh, it used to be called Stapleton International Airport in Denver. Huge, big airport. Now it's Denver International, a different airport, but back then Stapleton. And we're just sitting there waiting for our plane, and along comes walking Debbie and her dad. And I said, Carrie, there's Debbie and her dad. So because of the forgiveness, I jumped up and I called to them. They came over and we all embraced and hugged and it was a wonderful, wonderful restoration of relationship. Haven't seen them since. So that's been 39 years since I've seen them. I don't know if they're alive or not. You know. But the issue was taken care of at that very moment. The burden was lifted. The barrier between me and God was, was lifted. It was gone. God's blessings, I believe, were restored. And I will tell you this, and I believe with all my heart, that I believe that every blessing that God has given to me and every positive way that God has used me in these 39 years since are all rooted back to that, my willingness to take care of that issue and to not allow it to become a lifetime of imprisonment and torture of my soul. So, and now I will tell you that there have been many people since then 
that I've had to walk the same road with. So this is not the only one. This is just one of them. So who do you need to forgive today? Who do you need to ask forgiveness of? Listen to me again. Forgiving someone is not letting them off the hook. It's turning them over to God. It takes the burden off you and it gives it to Jesus. And he carries it. You are the loser if you don't. If you don't, you end up in an emotional and spiritual prison, tortured potentially for a lifetime, living so far below the blessings of God because you didn't take care of it. Now, I want to leave you with two thoughts, and I know I've gone way over time, but that's okay. Number one, forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. Because you may be sitting there thinking, I just can't, I, I can't feel forgiveness. I didn't feel forgiveness either. I was the one I felt was, who was wronged. But I chose to forgive, and that's what you do. You choose to forgive. God, I don't feel this, but I choose it. The second thing I would tell you is this. You, you gain a heart of love and mercy for somebody by praying for them. So here's somebody you can't stand. I mean, you hate them because of what they've done to you. God, I pray for them. I pray for you to do good in their lives. I pray for you to show your mercy. Don't pray that God will change them. You know, anybody can do that. God, you know what a rotten scoundrel they are. You change them. Get them, God. That's not the kind of prayer I'm talking about. I'm talking about praying that God will bless them. Jesus said, if your enemies wound you, bless them. Don't curse them. Bless them. You know, it's one thing to not curse. It's another thing to actually not curse and then to bless. So in prayer, just start blessing them that God will show his favor in their lives and will change things for the best in their lives and so forth. And you know what will happen? As you pray for somebody, God will begin to change you. And your heart for that person will change from one of bitterness and vindictiveness to one of love. Now, it's also possible that the one that you've had tension with is gone. They're dead. And you can't go to them. You can't make it right. But that's where prayer brings the healing and you release it to God and you say, Lord, I forgive that person. They're gone, I can't make it right, but I forgive them for what they've done. As long as you make yourself judge and jury, you are forcing God out of that area of your life and guess who gets control? Satan will come in and he'll get control and that's what puts you in torture. You release it and God will set you free. How many of you received that this morning? God bless you. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.